Hey, Spencer Church, we have new microphones. We do. Uh, if you listen to the Mirakami Minute episode that posted on Friday, you would know, because uh, I think we mentioned it on there. But officially, this is the first day, because there's two Mirakami Minutes we recorded back-to-back, so the levels and stuff, I'm not sure, you know, if they're going to be the same as this one. But this one, I feel, we got the mic set up better. I got a new arm. Yeah. That's fancy. very fun. It was, cost more than the microphone. Fancy. It's very nice, and I love it, and now I could, I'm more free. I feel... I feel like I could let my bosoms drop. Yeah. Uh, so that's nice. And I feel like uh, this is a good step in the right direction for DPW. Or another podcast we might end up doing and just ditching DPW is the practice for five years. Yeah. However long we've been doing this. So, you know, new microphones aside. I wanted to ask you, because it's going to kind of go into the episode we're going to talk about. And we'll probably talk about this in the episode, too. Do you follow the old adage, the uh, Hemingway technique of little to no adverbs in your writing? I know we discussed this, we touched on it many times, uh, because on writing, Stephen King famously said, you gotta get rid of them adverbs, and then Hemingway was, you know, Mr. No Adverb. See, that's where, um, like, my background of, like, never really, like, studying, like, like I don't think about that kind of stuff while I'm writing, I'm just kind of throwing it on there, and, you know, I don't, I really don't think of, you know, and I know that's more towards the, um, you know, to the editings and stuff where you, yeah. you know, get, get those out of. But, like, I I don't try to follow any kind of rules in general. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't... You're a bastard. You have no father to your style. No, I don't. I feel like that's very um constraining and can, you know, I think you just write the story the way it needs to be written. The way I view it is learn how to write first. Oh, yeah. Like the very structured, going to have probably dog shit stories because you're so focused on the mechanics of writing. Uh, then once you get that down, throw all that out yeah. and just do what you want to do. It's like what it's the uh, what's the saying is like you need to know all the rules before you don't follow them. Or something like that, or so you can either break you them master or master all the rules so you can break up something, something like that. You know, yeah, something along those lines. Well. I used to be a stickler for getting rid of the adverbs, and I would uh, I actually had like the Hemingway editor, which would tell you every adverb and all that stuff. So I'd go back and change things and stuff. But then, and this kind of goes with our last episode about the uh, pulp writers. The more I read the old pulp stuff, like Robert E. Howard, and now I've been really reading Lord of the Rings, a lot of adverbs. And you know what? I don't find it takes away from the story at all. And I'm kind of wondering in this modern age. Do people even care? I think it's just a writer thing now. Or like writers and editors holding on to that tradition of, uh, you know, no adverbs. Like, I feel like people nowadays, like readers, don't really care. That or just like, and I'm not trying to say anything here, but like, you know, how many people when they're reading are just like even notice. That's like, what, yeah. Like, yeah, like uh, this, man. If you have a I really, lot, I can see you noticing, but just like here and there, like you know, I really like this guy's book, but you know what? Too many adverbs. It just, you know what I mean? Like, how many even know? Might even know what ab- adverbs are? Yeah, even are. Like, you know what I mean? Well, I've um, I've heard other writers complain online and stuff about, you know, oh, this guy had two adverbs in one paragraph, and they just like threw, they wouldn't read the book anymore. And I'm just thinking, is it really that big of a deal? Like I could, like I said, if the writing's still good, like a Robert E. Howard, but he's just using a lot of adverbs because when you're writing a fast-paced, action-packed story, the adverbs make it move quicker. If you have to 
right around it. So instead of he ran quickly, that's the fast way to do it. He just ran quickly, you know, That's and then you can go on to the next sentence. You can follow up. But if you have to, well, I can't use quickly. I can't have an adverb. You know what I need to do? I need to describe his running so they know he's running quickly. Well, he ran as if a gazelle was going through the the, the jungle and the tigers were chasing. Like, who gives a fuck, you know? And then, too, like, you, uh, sometimes when you get like that, it just takes you out. Yeah, it takes it, you out of the story. But, but uh, like you said, like, the example you were using, like, you, he ran quickly. It's not only it sets the pace. It's not yeah. bogging the story down. But it quickly tells the reader what's going on. They don't have to be. They don't have to imagine a gazelle Getting running through. through run. field. Yeah, like they, they, they get how quick this guy's running. They know he's running quickly. Yeah, like you know, she uh, picked up the dropped glass gracefully or something. You don't have to say, oh, like a ballerina pirouetting. Pick like you don't have to go into all that. Now, if every sentence you have is like that, you know the adverb. Like, if you have every sentence with the adverbs, then, yeah, that's going to take away from your writing. Uh, so, like, obviously have a good mix. Um, if you can write around the adverb in a way that keeps the story flowing properly, do that. But don't, uh, or, I mean, don't, like, worry too much about the adverbs. That's what I say. Uh, and, obviously, the way I go about writing now, just do your first draft without thinking about it at all. Yeah. Just come to it naturally. Whatever the first word that seems to work for you in your sentence, like, choose that word. Don't go to the thesaurus. Don't uh, sit there and think for 10 minutes on a better word. Just keep the story going until you get done with the first draft. Second draft, you can go back and you can do whatever you want. Uh, if you want to take out all the adverbs, you could do that and see if the story doesn't fucking grow 20% longer because that's what will probably happen if you're trying to replace all the adverbs. And and again, like, too, like, uh, you're saying, like, the size of it, like, I think... You know, if you're writing for things that have, like, a word count somewhere, like, you know, if yeah. you're trying to submit somewhere, a well-placed adverb can... Speed that up a speed, lot. Speed it up and then save you some space that you could use, you know, some to tell something yeah. else, you, you know? Sometimes so. you just have to be very succinct with your writing. You can't just sit there and try to fluff... That's going to go into our episode about purple prose, about trying to fluff it up and, like, take the longest road when the shortest road is what's needed. Like, you can't always have, like, this most beautiful wonderful writing because then you'll end up with like an alan moore jerusalem that's you know 800 pages longer than it probably needs to be and again i'm not trying to say just go ahead and just you know use adverbs all willy-nilly and just because that could be dog shit writing too a lot of time that's dog shit writing when you just like rely on the adverbs to tell your story but i'm just saying it doesn't have to be a constraint for you uh if you do it right you just need like again if you learn how to do like the functional stuff of writing first, the mechanics and how to tell a story with uh, pretty much just learn how to write first, you know? And then you can go and you can start just throwing your adverbs in and doing stuff like that because then you'll know where they fit properly. So what's the message of the day? Don't worry about adverbs. Yeah. Don't, uh, I don't know if people really do worry about it that much because I read a lot of indie authors who didn't, you know, find an adverb they didn't like. So it's uh, just a matter of taste. And like I said, I don't think a lot of readers care. I like I know if I'm reading some literary fiction and a bunch of adverbs are abundant, I don't really it's well, very rare it's gonna take me out of the story. Well you uh you like to check out like reviews and like uh videos of stuff you know, different things you whenever you finish a book. And any of them have you ever seen anybody ever bring up the amount or the usage or non usage of, you know, no. like this story could have been better or worse if it yeah. did or didn't have more or less outvert, you know, so. 
I don't think I've ever seen a review that mentioned adverbs. The only time I've ever seen complaints of adver adverbs was from other writers who might be reviewing something or talking about something they read. But I've never seen actual readers, that's all they do is read, they're not writers, complain about adverbs because I don't think they care. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. That being said, if you submit to DPW in the future and your work is adverb heavy, I will tell you. I'll tell you if it works or it doesn't work. Usually it doesn't work because the writing skill wasn't there. That's the main thing. Writing skill has to be there. But let's go into this episode about Purple Pros and we can fucking talk more about this. So I try to keep these under five minutes and they always go to like 10, 20, 30. Like we've just been pushing the cold open so yeah. long. Pretty soon we won't have an episode. And I'm almost fine with that. We're all cold open. We're all cold open. We, it takes us a You know why? Because we're getting older. It takes us longer oh, to warm oh, yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, we get, you don't want to get a pool hammy here. No. Uh-huh. You are listening to the new and improved Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. Oh, we are going to be getting new music. Maybe. I haven't decided. If we can't find anything, we're not. That's yeah, how I mean, lazy we are. If we can't find something suitable that I can buy, because I'm going to have to buy a license for it, we're just not doing it. Yeah, because I like it. I mean, I like it too, but I've had, well, the wife doesn't like it. She's never liked it. She doesn't like anything. It always throws me off when I listen to a podcast I've been listening to for a while, and they change the music yeah. just abruptly without like saying anything, and then you're just like, I don't know. Is, is this the right thing? Did I, did I download the wrong thing? It always seems like the change is worse to me. Every podcast I ever listened to, I don't know if it's just because, you know, what you originally got, but I feel like we were so dog shit at the beginning that maybe the change won't be so bad. I don't know, because I feel like our intro music easily flows into the, uh, whatever I, talking about. I definitely want to keep the same, uh, like, style You like that it. style? Yeah, like, the, because what we both I was like, thinking of going some kind of pub ambiance, like some kind of cheery, like, cheers. Yeah, yeah but that seems fake. It does seem fake. Well, no, well look, we're, we're not talking about this now. We got many, many years before we get to that hundred episode, <laughs> five episodes, because we're gonna do eighty-seven deep. We'll be at the, like I said before, we'll hit the hundred DBS episode before well, we get the regular season. I was looking at it, like on my podcast app. Not only are we closing on a hundred episodes of the regular podcast, but overall we're closing in on two hundred episodes. Well, damn, Skippy. That's we, nice. we, we, you figure the DBS episodes and the review episodes. I think and the, DBS like, are like almost in the sixties. Yeah, and then like the at least uh, ten book of the month, I would think. Yeah, and then like the Murakami minutes and different and and guests and stuff, like, you know, all that different stuff. Like, uh, so we've only been podcasting for I think like two, what, like two years, two and a half years. To think that whole time we had those dog shit mics fuck anyway um i probably should introduce ourselves i introduced the podcast that people should know by now no. uh but if you're only you know tuning in now hey, stan lee said every comic was somebody's first comic that's what i was thinking i always keep that in mind when i do the, the intros i'm like hey we don't have to because there's a lot of podcasts i listen to they never do intros after the first you know how many episodes but it can always be somebody's first, especially one like this. People are very choosy. They just pick and choose what title of the episode they think sounds good. So I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, is, as always, this is actually Ash's name. I'm not going to the Globe this time. Yeah. Spencer, the Calcutta Cockblocker Church. I feel like we had something from Calcutta. Yeah. I think I. Well, I think we've had something from Calcutta, and then we've had a. I know we've had a cockblocker before. Definitely had to be probably multiple cockblockers. Yeah. So um, I think he's just mixing. I like it though. I'm just you saying. Like it. 
I don't know. I kind of hate it now that I think about it because I think we use that or something similar. Oh, fuck. I feel like I got to give you another name on the spot. Those are normally the best. Give me a city in the world or a country. Oh. Anywhere. Anywhere. Literally in the whole world. It's got to be a one-word country or city, one, though. One word. Um, and don't be like you did that one time where you picked like a Z or a Q or something. <laughs> Calcutta. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, how do you like being on the spot? Yeah, I don't like being on the spot. Uh, Missouri. Missouri, that's funny, because isn't that where Ash is from? Oh, mate, yeah, it is. I think he is, yeah. yeah. It always throws me off, because, like, Kansas City is not in Kansas. That's stupid. That's <laughs> fucking dumb. Um, the only reason I know about any of that is because for a time I was... I was very heavy listening into Tech Nine music. Yeah, and like, that's what. And then so like yeah, so those always are kind of get brought up in, a, in like in his stuff. That's the only reason I know anything around there. So we're going Missouri. Missouri but again for first time listeners. I always give Spencer. Usually I point to a random spot on the globe we have, and then I pick a name at random. It's got to be used. Uh, alliteration has to be used. So Missouri, you're the you could be the Missouri Madman. How's yeah, that? Yeah. Okay. Simple. Or the Missouri. You know, I was gonna go mud something, but <laughs> I, I, that always goes gross. Like Missouri Mud Flap Church. I kind of like Mud Flap. Though. <laughs> I like the word Mud Flap. Anyway, we are probably just, you know, we could continue with the adverb talk, uh, but the episode is actually about purple prose. But that, like we were talking about, adverbs without the use of adverbs, and you have to work around the adverbs, your writings can be either very bland or you're going to have to write around that, and then you're going to get to the purple prose because you're, you might overwrite. Like I said, that's not a bad thing in certain spots, but if your whole book or story is uh, constant workarounds of the adverbs. Then you all of a sudden you got these huge paragraphs. I'm going to give you a couple examples, actually. I got a bunch. Of purple? Purple prose. Purple, purple prose. prose. No, I didn't even think of the adverbs till the episode. And I know I've talked about this before, but I've never read this on air. If you watch the movie Genius about the, the author Thomas Wolfe and his editor, Maxwell Perkins, and his editor, because he literally, Thomas Wolfe, was so obsessed with writing, he wheeled in like a wheelbarrow full of his manuscript. Because it was so overwritten, and it was uh, Max Perkins' job to whittle that down into a workable novel. So, like, how many pages is that? How many? How Fuck many a ton. is a barrel full? I think it was like in the movie, it was like multiple. Now, I'm sure there's some exaggerating exaggeration in the movie, but he reads this uh, part of the book in the movie. Maxwell Perkins does, and then they have a, a funny fucking. It's a great scene. It goes on. It's them, like, going all over to bars and all this stuff, and they're just talking about this fucking, you know, him telling them you got to cut this down to, you know, a simplistic scene. And Thomas Wolfe was like, no, no, this is brilliant. you got to keep this, keep that. And they're fighting, and it's going all around town. But it's only, like, two minutes of the movie. It's the perfect example of purple prose that is brilliant. Like, if you read this in the book, and I, I can't name, I don't remember the name of the book, but they did cut it, but I think they re- um, you know, remastered it or whatever they do. Like they they brought it back, uh, in later editions just to have it because it's such it's such great writing, but it's definitely so like too much. Well, yeah, just because um, just because it's a uh, prose or just doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, it's just it's it's long and you just unfortunately can't use it all most yeah. of the time. So I'm gonna read this now. Is this the thing where like describes like the blue yeah. or something? Yeah, but I never got. I wasn't able to. Get, obviously, I wasn't able to get into the detail. <laughs> yeah. This was just one scene, one page. It was just like not even a scene. I think it was just a part of a scene. Probably like a paragraph. Yeah. 
But it's so brilliant that when you people are like, why would he ever cut that? But every page of his fucking book was like this. So obviously he had a cutter. The book would be, you know, be like some fucking Marcel Proust. Be, five, five Jerusalems. Yeah, That's how you made you, you, you measure him in Jerusalems. Oh, God. Be like uh, Proust is in search of lost time with just even bigger, just millions and millions of volumes. As Eugene's eyes became accustomed to the haze of the cigarettes and cigars swirling miasma-like, he saw a woman in surge and gloves that crept like living tendrils up her normally ivory arms, but now sun-kissed as a blush as the incarnating discovery inside a conch cell, seen for the first time by a bewildered zoologist as he is undone by its rosy, promising pinkness. Those were her arms. I was just describing the arms now. Now we're going on. But it was her eyes that stopped his breath and made his heart leap up. Blue they were. Even though the swirling vapors of pompous Chesterfields and arrogant lucky strikes, he saw her eyes were a blue beyond blue, like the ocean. Blue beyond blue. A blue he could swim into forever and never miss a fire engine red or a cornstalk yellow. Across the chasm of that room, that blue, those eyes devoured him and looked past him and never saw him and never would. Of that he was sure. From that moment, Eugene understood what the poets had been writing about these many years. All the lost, wandering, lonely souls who were now his brothers, he knew a love that would never be his. So quickly did he fall for her that no one in the room even heard the sound. The whoosh as he fell, the clatter of his broken heart. It was a sure silence, but his life was shattered. Now that's an example. And, and now that you finished your drive home from work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is an example of purple prose that is just brilliant, in my opinion, because that, like, the whole scene, like, the, the arrogant Lucky Strikes or the Chesterfield, like, the smoke of the cigarettes in the air, and then, what was it, the miasma-like, um, yeah, the, the cigarette and cigar smoke, swirly miasma-like, like, I never heard anybody use miasma-like, like, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking wonderful. It makes me want to look it up so I know what it means. <laughs> It just sucks because it's greatly winning. It's it's so good. It's just you don't need it. You don't need. Well, that's the whole thing, because uh, in the in the movie they're arguing about this because Thomas Wolfe he doesn't want to get rid of anything. You know, it, it's all brilliant to him. He doesn't want to cut anything. Maxwell Perkins like you have to because uh, even in the scene he's like Thomas Wolfe after he gets done reading what I just read he's like you don't like it and then Maxwell Perkins is like you know I do. But it's too much. Yeah. And then they have this fight about you know getting rid of it. So he was like oh. Okay, was, uh, the blue they were, even though the swirling vapors of Palmas Chesterfield, and he's like, you don't need that. And then he's like, well, they're blue they were, they're beyond, blue beyond blue. And he's like, that's redundant, get rid of it, you don't need that. He's like, okay, okay, and he starts to concede slightly. And he's like, okay, well, what about this? A blue he could swim into forever and never miss a, and he's like, no, you don't need that. And he's like, but the ocean, and finally, he's just like, blue. Like, he's like, what do you have? And he's just like, blue. And he's like, that's it. And he's like, you're right. Just blue. Her eyes were blue. That's all you needed. You didn't need all of that. Imagine the struggle for that. Like to like oh. go from all that to just to win like those couple paragraphs down to a word. And like the, the the fighting that it had to take, like, oh man, that whatever he was getting paid, it wasn't enough. No. Uh no. Uh but I mean I believe he probably made Thomas Wolf famous because who else would have been able to do that? Like that had to be the most difficult thing is editing. That had to be harder than the writing. Almost. Yeah, yeah. All right, I have some examples of purple prose and how to fix it. These are much quicker than what I just read. And these, like, I think they, uh, I don't know what order this is in, but I'm sure some of these will be way worse than others. So you'll be able to tell. Okay, some purple prose, like I said, too, even though it might be overwritten, you could be like, I, I kind of like that, though. 
Because, you know, tastes are different, but there's some purple pros that just nobody's going to like. He moves slowly, at length, and carefully on his tiptoes through the room with an entirely unnecessary gaze trained on the purple wooden front door. Uh, the easy fix for that. He moved carefully through the room, training his gaze on the door. Now, in this original Purple Prose version, they got one, two, two uses of adverbs, and they only used one adverb in the fix. But he moved carefully through the room, training his gaze on the door. Do you think that's better than all that descriptor? Again, like if you're like if you're telling a horror story, the tiptoe walking yeah. you'd want to keep. Yeah, it's redundant, but at the same time, it paints the picture of how he's walking. Because you can just say somebody's it, walking carefully. That doesn't mean they're on their tiptoes, you know. And it, and it builds suspense. Yeah. So, um, tough one, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. These get tough. Like I keep saying, I'll keep repeating this probably throughout the episode. It's the whole body of work that you have to contend with, though. So if it's just that paragraph, you're like, okay, that's not that bad. But if every paragraph is like that, then you have a problem. And it's it's writing style. Well, this example, I think, will uh, maybe turn you a little the other way. I watched the beautiful, stunning, replendent sunrise as it crested the battlefield, casting shadows and hues. I actually like that. I don't think that's that bad. I like the you know the cat, the shadows and hues. But here's the the it fix. Does, it paints a picture. It does. Uh, like I could almost see that as a start of something. But here's the fix. I watched the stunning sunrise as it rose over the battlefield. I get what he's going, like whoever yeah. did this. I get what they're going for with that fix because it's just one sentence. Uh, if you're a pulp writer or you're just writing something fast-paced, that's obviously what you go with. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything wrong with slowing down and having that previous paragraph. No. And then, too, I feel like the fix would be something that you'd find more in, like, maybe modern yeah. writing. The longer one, I could definitely see, like, I could see that in, like, a Hemingway yeah. kind of thing where, you like, you know... Like, if I was to edit this sentence, I would say, instead of, I watched a beautiful, stunning, replendent, like, resplendent sunrise, i get rid of resplendent. Yeah. You don't need that. I'd probably get rid of beautiful or stunning. You only, you only need one, the same thing. They're basically the same. That's too redundant, in my opinion, so... I watched the stunning sunrise as it crested the battlefield, casting shadows and hues. Uh, if you want to get rid of shadows or hues, uh, but those are di different enough that, you know, you have your darks and then you have your various colors. So I like that. I think that's fine. I think if you just got rid of a couple words, that's fine. I didn't really like the fix. I felt that was too basic. Um, well, yeah, and you figure some of these are going to probably uh, uh, swing a little bit of uh, excessive on the fix, like, you know what yeah. I mean? Got cut too much off. It's like, no, you only yeah. cut a little bit off. You don't a little have to bit. cut, yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing. With editing, you don't always have to kill your darlings by killing the whole thing. Sometimes you just trim your hedges. It would just, you don't you, need to cut down the whole tree sometimes. Sometimes you just, just got to trim it up. Cut, cut a finger off. You don't have to murder them. Just cut a finger off. Yeah. Uh, this is the one I thought was going to be the last one, actually. This is the one I think you'll dislike, because I didn't like this one. You, also, if you add words that make it hard to read out loud, that's a clue that you're overwriting. The proliferation of thoughts in my mind was causing me to experience brain freeze in the middle of science class. That doesn't even make me think that he's just kind of freezing up. Like, it makes me think he's, you know, you want to use the word brain freeze. Yeah. That already makes me just think of, like, cold drinks and stuff, mm. you know? That doesn't, that you're not conveying the message in, uh, properly, well, in my opinion. Well, what was the second word there? Per, uh, Proliferation. Uh, Get rid of that. Yeah. Here's the here's the fix, and I don't I don't like this fix either, actually. Because it's just... Actually, the fix is longer than the original. It just doesn't have the big words. My mind was crammed with too many thoughts, which is why I had a brain freeze moment in the middle of science class. 
that seems like a mouthful almost to me. Like you had a brain freeze moment. I would get rid of brain freeze altogether. Yeah. I don't think that was just good phrasing. Would you just be like, I froze in well, the middle of class? Something. Yeah. And if I'm the editor here, if so, this guy's using the, the proliferation of thoughts in my mind and you fix it, you change it to my mind was crammed. That's a wildly different writing style. Like proliferation and crammed. Well, you could say, okay, I, I like it's pretty similar what he's what they're trying to the message you're trying to convey. I feel like that changes the whole writing style and might even change the whole story if that's the kind of fixes you're going with. Because there is such thing as, you know, having like a HP Lovecraft where you have this oftentimes you would say too much of a uh, higher vocabulary, but it gives it an air of sophistication that you lose when you use words like crammed, you know? I don't even know how I would fix that one because I, don't, I just don't like that any of that. Yeah, I would, that's just the restart. I mean, I would probably just say something like, you know, there are too many thoughts going, like, swirling through my head. I, I couldn't think straight or something, you know? I froze up or something. I Like, just the way they did that, that, that was too much. I was actually going to start the episode with this quote, but I had all my notes backwards for some reason. Um, so I'll do it now because this goes along with what I was just talking about. This is by H.G. Bissinger, which I do not know who that is. Sometimes I overdo it. Sometimes my prose is a little bit too purple. And I know that. Uh, here's where you could tell often the great authors from the wannabe uh, authors who are usually too, um, how can I, I don't want to say pompous. Um, they smell their own farts too much. Arrogant, arrogant, uh, cocksure, you know, things like that is while the great novelist or the great storyteller, the great writer might know they are using overwriting and, you know, have a good bit of purple prose. The wannabe great, the arrogant one, they think they're brilliant and they're also doing the same purple prose, but they don't understand like that is purple. Like they just think it's brilliant writing. You know, if you know your faults and you know, like, hey, I know this paragraph is overwritten, but I like it. Mm. Like, that's different than just thinking it's fucking great as is and nobody could tell you any other way. Uh, it's just a matter of humbleness, actually, I would say. I have fallen down slight wormholes of purple prose, but I think I've always edited them pretty good. Uh, especially now, in my youth, when I first started this whole writing thing, I think I was an overwriter, but now... Especially with uh, switching to just writing things by hand, like longer works. And then, um, you know, j like just that style just allows, it doesn't allow me to be able to look up like all the words on the computer and just a quick double click of a word. And then now I got the thesaurus and I can just change yeah. it. And like now I, I don't worry about any of that. I do that all in the second draft. If we think of great purple prose authors, where do you think the cutoff is? Where it's just, which could be good while still having the purple prose? And then it just goes to bad. H.P. Lovecraft is, I think, on the bad side, honestly. Yeah. I, I, like, if you asked me a couple years ago, I would say maybe he was on the line because his stories are still good. But honestly, after we, you know, some reflection on him without having to, you know, ha not having read him in a while and then going back and just looking through some of his stuff, I'm just like, this would be such a better story if it was told and not such a ridiculously over-the-top, like, intellectual academic way is almost what I feel. It would have been cool if uh, back in the day because like how H.P. Lovecraft and um, Howard were like, you know, like they were kind yeah, of friends and knew each other. Uh, wouldn't it be interesting to like have like a Conan story written by H.P. Lovecraft and just have like a- Robert a E. Howard has a Cthulhu Mythos collection. 
I don't know if uh, I told you that. I forgot to tell you that, I think. Because I was looking on Amazon and I bought those other books. He has uh, Cthulhu Mythos. So he they did do that. I don't know if H.P. Lovecraft, he obviously didn't use Conan, I don't believe. I don't know if he used the uh, Hyberbrian Age. Was that the name of uh, Howard's universe? Well, we uh, whenever we first got into those Conan stories... We found out that like, cause he would use like he like he used phrases like the like the old ones and yeah. stuff like that. We found out that like they would use yeah, each other's like mythology that they've built yeah. up. But I was thinking of more just like a you know a direct like kind of like you know H.P. Like, Lovecraft just doing a Conan story, doing, and then like yeah, like he can and you know H.P. Uh, Lovecraft doesn't really other than like the Cthulhu stuff, he doesn't really have like yeah. a but you know like that kind of story like you know I think would be cool and it would be interesting to see those stories done in the different styles right well hp lovecraft and this is why i think he never really gets lumped in with the just bad purple prose is because most of his protagonists are people who would speak like that they're like university professors and archaeologists and they always have something to do with uh, academia so i think that's why you kind of give it a pass because it's the character that would be like that because uh, we've obviously seen how he rates yokels, like and, mountain folk, and the um and the time period too. Yeah, because people also. But see, would... Poe is the a good example of purple prose, in my opinion. Because if you read Poe as a through the modern eye, where people don't speak like that anymore, you'd be like, God damn, that's kind of overwritten. But it's not because he uses uh, it maybe it was his earlier stories. I'll give him, you know, when he was just finding himself. I think were a lot of uh, purple prose that was just. If you can't understand what's fucking going on in the story, it's, you're not writing it well. But as he got, you know, the Telltale Heart and the Murder in the Rube Morgue and all that stuff, like, he found himself, I think, and was able to reel back his uh, intellect a little bit so the layman, stupid guy like me can understand his work. Uh, which is very important because I think the most important part of writing and storytelling is that your reader can understand it. Yeah. Because if you're writing a Finnegan's Wake like James Joyce... And nobody can understand it. What's the fucking point? Like, if people have to write their fucking thesis on Ulysses because it's so complex, is that really something people want to read for fun? Right. Or I'm not one who thinks it's always best to study fiction in a way that, uh, like, you know, like how they try to teach you in school. Like, okay, you got to break down. Like, I get under wanting to understand the themes and, you know, like, oh, the grapes of wrath. Like, you know, poor people. Like, I get all that like, stuff. And also, like, um, the ancient stories, I get doing that, too. But anything like from like the 17th, 18th century up, like any modern thing, like, yeah, like I don't think breaking it, like, how much can you really gain by breaking it down? And you well, know, like, Blood Meridian was the perfect example because we watched the fucking two documentaries on it and all this other shit and why it's the greatest novel and all this stuff. And it was Still the same consensus. Not Nobody like really understood. Even the people that like it are just like, I don't. I like it. I, I can't tell you why. Yeah, it's like, and that's fine. Not everything needs to be study in death, especially fiction, because it's not real. Because this always comes down to what the author's opinions and what the author's trying to say. And I hate that. Because if the author's trying to say something, why not just say it? Like, why are you trying to say it? Like, just say it. Fucking say it. Are you so smart that what you tried to say just couldn't be conveyed to stupid people? That's that's a, that's a different topic. If your theme is just violence is violence and nothing more, and then you got a naked albino in the end dancing around swinging his dick, <laughs> I, just, I don't know what to think of and, that. And the thing is, like, if you want to tell that story about violence is violence, and that's like, that's such a better story you could tell. Yeah. Like, there's... 
from watching those documentaries and from and from what I read of the Blood Meridian, there's a cool story, story there yeah, where this kid. Writing. Yeah, but it, it's just the way it's told. It's you know what I mean. Like it's there's a cool story there, yeah. but it gets lost. Hello, DPW listeners. This is your wonderful host, Caleb James, speaking. Um, I'm interrupting the podcast here from the future to give you a quick cringe warning. Uh, this next segment, we egregiously used the word analogy when we were supposed to be talking about allegory. So you're going to hear us use the word or misuse the word rather analogy over and over and over again. But what we actually meant was allegory. So please keep that in mind for the rest of the episode, especially the next five to ten minutes or so. Well, I want your opinion, switching topics slightly, I want your opinion on something. How do you view analogy in work? Because I know you've expressed in the past that you're not real big on, like, metaphor-heavy stories that have, like, overarching themes that you really have to read into to understand or get. Do you think analogies are necessarily something you would want to, like, seek out in your stories? Because, like, Tolkien famously said, like, because, you know, everyone said that, like, the Lord of the Rings was supposed to be about, like, World War II and the warriors, you know, the soldiers in the trenches and they're walking through Mordor and that represents the battlefield that he could... Well, for him, I guess it would have been World War One. Uh, is what they were talking about. But then World War II came about when he was publishing the book, mm. so people obviously looked into that. And he said, no, I hate analogy. There's no analogy. This doesn't mean anything. It's just a story. So are you just a story, or do you want it to have deeper meaning? I'm always story first, and I don't mind if an author wants to try to use this use a story that they're telling to try to help, you know, maybe shed some light on it or or, 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 or something like that, bring awareness. I just have a problem with the way some of them do it when it's blatant yeah, and kind of o- obvious. I don't like it. I like it whenever like you read or you watch something and you're talking to somebody about it and they're like, oh, yeah, I think, you know, stood for such and such and they're trying to represent that. And you're like, oh, and you, you like, oh, yeah, it, it does. Way. Like, yeah, like if you think about it, like, yeah, it kind of does. But it's not thrust upon you to you know like that's not the first thing and i don't know if that's if well, that's the right thing or not again i guess it's dependent on what you're what you're trying to write well i feel like a great example of what you're talking about would be um of, of using it properly in a way that you like the reader uh doesn't feel like it's forced or blatant would be like slaughterhouse five because kurt vonnegut he wrote that story in a way where it's funny and you see um i can't remember that what was that guy's name the protagonist. I don't remember his name. Oh, though. but anyway, he's Bill a Bill something, right? Something with Bill, a P. Pingham, Pill, whatever his name was. Just t- take a break and Look then it just up. and then just give us like two seconds enough so you can splice it and then just put it in later. I mean, I got my phone right here. I guess I could just, yeah, but as you look up the name, I think I know what you're saying is like, because it's a story about, um, from with like war and mm-hmm. the, the casualty of war and people after like, you yeah. know, the, um, I can't think of the word, um, um, like shell shocked or, yeah. uh, well, that's like, the, that was what I was going to bring up. Like Billy Pilgrim, uh, as he's going through, well, I was close. Billy, you were, you said pill, uh, you said pill. So Billy Pilgrim, like he was, you know, like the scene where they're just walking through and he doesn't care if he doesn't have a coat or like he's just 
Like, it's written in a way that seems like it's funny, but this guy is clearly having such post-traumatic stress yeah, disorder yeah, 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 that yeah. he doesn't even care if he dies. And, like, that's obviously a theme throughout the whole uh, thing. And then back then, like you said, it was shell shock. And I just, I just think that's, like, really brilliant because... You can read that book and get what we took away, which is, oh, it's like a fun time travel story. It has some depressing elements, but it's written in a way that you're just like, oh, this is fucking cool. But, you know, with the, the so it goes, like every time somebody or something dies, so it goes. And you're just like, oh, that's that's kind of quirky. But no, that's like a representation yeah. of, you know, this is the death of people and just, yeah, life goes on, but it's just tragic. And the thing about that with Slaughterhouse Five too is it's still a relatively small novel but yet there's so much packed into it but it doesn't feel like it like you know what i mean you don't feel like it's crammed in there it it actually it's it reads very quickly and smoothly Mm. that's why i want to check out some more of his work because i'm interested what some of his other stuff is like oh i saw a brilliant easton books collection easton uh easton press collection it was his whole like all his best novels yeah 500 bucks but it looks so nice, and they were illustrated. Oh, and it even said like the way they were designed. I think it was like blue and yellow, like a cool color scheme. And it said like Vonnegut going up and down like the spines if you put mm. them together. Oh, it's fucking great. I think a, a modern example. I'm not gonna do a specific one here because then, because we'll, knowing you, we'll be here all day. Uh, uh, Stephen King often used analogies of like alcoholism, mm-hmm. such as The Shining, uh, the fear of losing your kids, such as the Pet Cemetery, but. Uh, like he would need the deeper ones with like his drug addiction and like different uh, things of his fears and his worries and what was going on in his life came out in these stories. And it is not just as simple as, Oh, Jack Torrance was a drunk. No, it goes out in like the rage and then the man, the mania that he's expressing as he's trying to kill his family mm-hmm. and all this horrible shit. And it comes off as a horror story. So you don't necessarily think about that. You just think, Oh yeah, he drinks, but that's not what the whole book's about. Right? No. Right. right. Like, but if you actually look into it and you know, Stephen King, like, yeah, this is actually what the book's about. That is what I like stuff like that. But when you, I'm trying to think like, like an Atlas shrug, I bring that up all the time. A book I never read, you'll never read. No, I'm not um, even sure what it is. Pisses me off because it's like the coolest name for a novel because just picture Atlas holding up the fucking universe or the world, depending on which depiction you're using, and then he just shrugs and it falls off. Like, that's fucking yeah. the end of everything. Uh, that's cool. But it was, the that's book's it. about, like, I don't know, it's fucking libertarians and conservatives love yeah. it because it's about capitalism, like pro-capitalism and government, anti-government. I don't know. Some dumb shit. But... In that book, it's not like an analogy for anything because everything's just forced on you. It's just Anne Rand's stupid opinions in a story. A good one that I've read recently was uh, No Gaiman's Neverwhere. Because mm-hmm. like, it's these two Londons. There's regular London and there's like this magical London that's like beneath the city and like all this stuff like that. But it's also kind of like an analogy for like the homeless in London too. Yeah. Uh, and he just does a really good way, like, because as I was reading this, I was like, some of these people kind of almost seem kind of like home- homeless, and it's like, because, you know, it's the people you don't see, mm. you don't notice anymore, uh, and stuff like that. And then it's like, after I get done reading it, and I saw something about it, and they talked about, you know, like, the homeless, I was like, I thought, you like, you know what I mean? But it's not forced upon you to where it's just like, okay, I get it. England has a whole bunch of homeless people, you know? Like, yeah, it's yeah. Not... Yeah, because if you just wrote it straight like that, it'd be just a depressing read. Yeah. Nothing magical about it. I don't know how we got so far on this topic because we were talking about Purple Pros originally. Uh, Purple Pros! <laughs> Going back to that, um, Neil Gaiman doesn't have a lot of Purple Pros in his writing. 
Not that I ever noticed. I, even if he did, though, they're You'd be so all right with yeah, it. they're so nice. This it'd be like butter, like butter, like butter. I'm trying to think of something we read recently that was really purple, other than Blood Meridian, which was. I guess maybe that should be the reason why he called it Blood Meridian because it was so dark, it was practically purple. Oh, man, like, yeah. The whole fucking book was just like a nonstop descriptor. You asked me, off, I think, off air about, like, it, did he use a lot of adjectives? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it was all adjective. Did he use a lot of adverbs? I don't remember because I don't remember anything specific phrasing from that book. But put it this way, I didn't understand most of the time what was going on unless mm. I went back to reread it. So if that tells you anything. Uh, obviously, we read Dracula, which is mildly purple. Uh, any gothic uh, work, I feel, is usually mildly to moderately purple, at, you know, being generous here. Like Frankenstein. The old Frankenstein is uh, pretty purple from what I remember. Well, again, like they said, like anything that's written in like an older time period, I feel like... Just they, kinda... Before they called it purple, they just called it flowery, right? Yeah. You know, just that's flowery. Well, it's purple. Does it really matter? But yeah, it doesn't. It's called being paid by the word. Yeah, Dickens and fucking Melville. Been watching the Gilmore Girls. Don't, don't shut up. Don't judge me. I've been rewatching it. I like the Gilmore Girls. I don't care what you say. A lot of literary references in that show. Okay. A lot of wit. I like wit. I need I need fucking high end, fast paced stimulation. I need talking fast. Lots of talking. Lots of coffee. Anyway, um, there was a scene. It might even been the first episode. I don't fucking remember. It was one of the early episodes. He's acting like he doesn't know, but he actually knows. I don't want to act like I know, but I know. Uh, so Dean's talking to Rory, and uh, he's like, oh, you read Moby Dick. And she's like, yeah, it's my first Melville. I know when everyone says that you shouldn't read Moby Dick is your first Melville, but it's my first Melville. And I almost punched through the TV because no 16-year-old girl in any world reads Moby Dick for fun. And you know what? I agree. That shouldn't be your first Melville. You know what your first Melville should be? Any author that's not named Melville. Don't read Melville. <laughs> I don't fucking purple fuck. Bad uh, times. I recommend people read Moby Dick. I thought it was good. If you can find a bridge version without the whaling, it's good. Also, if you like really heavily written uh, descriptions of whales and shit, that's up your alley. So, Spencer, any parting words for the listeners about purple prose, adjectives, adverbs, and or analogies? So I feel like we covered a good bit, actually. Just the same old, same old that we always, that at least I always say is just write it. And try to figure out after that first draft, um, try, don't go in thinking other way. Like, don't go in first thinking like, ah, I'm going to make sure this is long or I'm going to make sure I'm going to use adverbs or I'm not going to use adverbs. Don't. Right first, think later. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just throw it up. Just throw up your story on the page. I've often thought about, and I've messed around with kind of doing it, but my mind will just not let me stick to it. Uh, is just writing the first draft of a story in the actual most bare-bones way of he ran to the market, he picked up the groceries, like, uh, he came home. Like Kevin from The Office whenever he's trying to cut down on his words. <laughs> Not that extreme. I'll, I'll use plurals. <laughs> but um, just like the, the, just literally just the step-by-step plot points of just the whole story. Almost mapped out as a ridiculously over- drawn oh my god i can't believe i forgot the word what is it when you do an outline it's an outline (laughs) (laughs) that's what i know i've been talking too much and i've been drinking too much whiskey when i forget the word outline yeah it's just like an overdrawn outline is just step by step the whole story some people i think probably actually do that but 
That, think about it. If you had the whole story in front of you written in that way, then you could just literally, like a Mad Libs, you just fill in the blanks. Yeah, just, yeah, just fill in the blanks. Might not be a bad idea to try another short story. Maybe Flash Fiction. Do yeah. a, I want you. Me? Spencer, the heavy dick touching. Whoa. I'm, I'm going off the rails. <laughs> Spencer the Havana Heifer Church. I want you to go home. I've had like five names this episode. I want you to go home, fucking write the story, just bare bones, and then fix it. So anyway, listeners, we thank you for listening. I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of who likes our Marikami episodes because that was the first instance of our new mics. But those always get, I think, like ten to twenty, thirty less listeners on these episodes. Oh really? I thought the Marikamis. It's like, well, the retention is like 100% for the people who listen to them. Like, they listen to oh, everyone. It's, the same, it's a steady same. But at the same time, it's not as many listeners as the regular. Mm. But we have that because, like, our Book of the Monks have different views. Our uh, DBS episodes usually have slightly different views. Well, then you probably also figure, too, it's probably maybe, like, you know, listeners who haven't read it yet. And yeah. so they don't want to listen to the episode exactly. because they might read it, so... And also, not everybody reads Mirakami, obviously. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, even like uh, uh, any of the book reviews we do yeah. and, and stuff like that. So Very hit or miss. So uh, thank you anyway. You can check out our work at DrunkPenWriting.com and see how purple our prose is. Uh, check out Spencer's first because I'm very sensitive. I don't, <laughs> need, to, I don't need to hear how purple my prose is. Uh, then you can uh, follow us on Twitter at DrunkPenWriting. And then Facebook and Instagram. And the Instagram's been halfway popping. Nice. Meaning I've actually been just focusing more on having the one post a day on there instead of Twitter. But, uh, yeah, you can check that out at Drunken Pen Writing. And uh, hip, hip, cheerio. Hip, hip, cheerio. You got to say something original. You can't I don't got nothing after. You can't say anything after. You can't say fucking top of the morning to the evening. Uh, no, see, now you ruin that, too. I don't got it. Tits up. Say anything you say now, I can't say. Tits so. down, ass up. Yep. <sighs> As soon as we get off air, he's going to be spouting all kinds of things. Right? Ooh, I got diarrhea. Ooh, I ate 100 wings before the podcast. That's it? Only 100? 100. 100.